Okay, let's try Romans chapter 8 this week. This, this is the yeah, 36th week now. Uh, and you're holding up pretty well, I have to say that. Uh, Romans 8 verse 30. This is the last swing around on this time, okay? Because last week I started a sermon which was the last swing around on it. And uh, I only got half of the sermon done. And then I look at the clock there right now and it's, it's a short amount of time. And I say, this is the last swing around on verse 30. I, I got to a, really, I, I had two points last week. And I did one. So I thought I would just go with one point this week. And uh, maybe that will help. But I do want to finish what we started in verse number 30. Actually, starting in verse 28, working our way through 30, this whole paragraph where we are camped right now, speaks about our security in God's program, what God is doing. And it's an amazing thing, what He is doing. And it's summed up so beautifully in these handful of verses. We know, verse 28 says, that God causes all things to work together. And I I changed your translation to this point, to a good thing, because that's the Greek, right? He's, He's caused all things to work together to a good thing. And the good thing is verse number 29, by the way. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. That's what He's making in us. That's what He's working on. That we are conformed to the image of His Son, so that He, Jesus Christ, would be first, the firstborn among many brethren. And then we're into verse 30. This is uh, just an incredible passage of what God has been up to. And these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's talk to him before we even begin to dissect it. Heavenly Father, big words in front of us today, but so precious to us. Thank you for this passage. We are going to spend a little more time in it today. Uh, focusing upon what you have done. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts are, are drawn to you. There is no way for us to say thank you enough. There, there's no words. There's no actions. There's no uh, task that we can do that can adequately sum up what gratitude we owe you. Perhaps, as the choir said, the best thing we could do is give you the honor and the power and the praise and all that forever and ever. And that's what we're doing, glory, someday. We look forward to that day. In the meantime, to show how much we love you, we can give ourselves to your word. To understand it better, to respond to it better. And I pray that that will be our our task this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's something that uh, I guess kind of concerns me a little bit as we go into verse number 30, 30, as we saw those big words, those theological words. We defined them last week, predestined. It's the idea of a horizon being set around, uh, marking the boundaries of what God is doing. God has planned, and that's what the word comes down to somewhat. He has planned out what is to be done. He pre destined these things. And I'm so glad he did. 
Because we would have never thought of it, nor could we have thought of this. But God did. And that's all part of the, the beauty of this passage. Not only did he predestine us, but he also called. He had to call us. We're like the folks in Isaiah 53, the sheep. Guess, guess which way they're running? Everywhere else. So the Lord is the one who calls us. And we spent some time in that passage last week, too, about his calling. And I'm so thankful he did. And he justified us. A word that for ten minutes or so we talked about last week hardly does its service at all. The justification of God that he could look upon a guilty sinner like you and me and declare us not guilty because of what Jesus Christ has done on that cross. That is amazing to me. That we could even stand before him, as scripture says we will, in, in a blameless way. That's amazing to me. But that's what God did. He justified us. And I'm so thankful he did. And then the last phrase we used, and I've spoken on it many times, he glorified us as well. And that follows the same pattern of speech. It was the same tense of the verb all the way through. What you claim that he's, he's predestined you, that you have been called by him, that you have been justified by him, you have been glorified by him. That's true. And I know practically we look in the mirror and we say, I don't know about that one. You're talking about God's perspective here. Remember, this whole passage is what he has done. Not you and me. We did not do this. He did it. And that's why the emphasis all the way through verse 30 is, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified, and the verb tense says, after every one of those, done. It's done. It's finished. That's an amazing thing. In other words, we have an incredible calling. And Paul tells the Ephesians, now, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Does that convict you, just to hear those words? Walk in a manner worthy of that calling? The point I want to bring up today, which was the second point of last week, I don't know if you want to call this the application section of verse number... Let's see, what page were we on? Do you remember? Oh, I know where it was. It was at the end of verse page 6. There were only uh, 10 pages, so you're okay this morning. Um, I don't know if you want to call this application... I don't know what if you want to call this the place where the pastor sets on toes. Some people feel that way. Uh, or what you want to word this as. But here's a concern. And I started with, there's a, a concern on my heart and a concern I share with you today. We're going through a magnificent passage. There's no doubt about that. We're looking at God's plan. This is what God has done. And I guess in our day and age, it's so easy to hear people come to us and say, and this is my plan, and this is what I want you to, I want you to grab this and run with it. I want you to believe this. I want you to buy this. You know, anymore, it's, you know, they're selling you something. They want, they want you to take this plan and use it, and it's supposed to be the best plan ever and such like that. 
And we're getting so accustomed to hearing such things. And people tell us this is what they've done or this is what they've done. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get more and more skeptical of things that people offer me. You? I was offered something just a few weeks ago, a, a, a policy that looked really wonderful. Great. I thought, oh, this is good. Like the price, everything else. I said, okay, let's try that. And then I got a notice a couple of weeks later, they were doubling the price. And I said, huh? That just surprised me? Well, I, that, that took me off guard. Obviously, things like that happen in our world. The question is, when you read these words, of what God has planned and what he's doing. And you take it personally because you know that's about you and Jesus Christ, right? The question is, do you really believe it? Are you absolutely convinced that this is true? That, that these things are indispensable? Some people say, well, there's certain parts of theology, yeah, are I believe that, or I believe that, or I believe that. But this one here is kind of optional to me. Uh, maybe. Or some would say, well, you know, I'm not sure I will. I, I'll take that and that and that. And it's kind of like you're at a smorgasbord or, you know, a buffet. Walk through the line and pick what you like and, and things you're not too sure of. You're not, you know, you pass on those things, like the vegetables and stuff, right? But... Here in this section, he has predestined you. Is that a theological position that's absolutely sure in your heart? He called you. Is that indispensable in your thinking? He justified you. Oh, I'll take that one. That's a good one, right? Because that means I, I've got forgiveness. And I, most people would say, I'll take that one. He glorified you. Well, I don't know what that exactly is yet. So, a little maybe there. As I pray, take you through this passage, I have a passion for this chapter. You probably have guessed. I read these words and I say, Wow. That is an amazing thing you have done for me, Lord. I, I am overwhelmed with these words. Look at the way verse 31 starts. Just the first phrase. What then shall we say to these things? And then he goes on to the next paragraph about how much God loves you. But what shall we say to these things today? that we have been listening to week after week after week, what does it really mean to be predestined, to be called, to be justified, to be glorified? There are terms that the pastor keeps repeating over and over and over and over again. And it's because God keeps repeating them over and over and over again in Scripture. The fact that He's done it is recorded in Scripture. The fact that it's all been bought by the blood of His Son. Isn't that verse 32? That means God took it rather seriously, didn't He? This whole thing that we've been studying. God meant it absolutely, positively meant it when He said, I have done these things. 
and they're done. And I really don't want us to forget those things. And so I, I raised a question that I'm going to talk about right now. And how does that really relate to me today? Does it have any significance in my life? And really, that's where you're going to have to answer something from your heart. Is this significant? Is this important? I want to take you to a, a, another passage for a few minutes. I'm not going to tell you yet what it is. You'll be there in just a second, okay? Or let me set you up for it. I want to take you to a church fellowship known for its immaturity in spiritual matters. It had a very self-centered focus. It, it, it was that way in everything it did. It was me first in every part of its service. It's, it, it was their opinion that was of self-importance. Their, their method uh, of service and ministry was all self-generated. They desired self-glorification. Their character was selfish through and through. Would you have liked to have attended that place? Paul had his hands full when he ministered to the Corinthian church. Turn over there to chapter 15 for a minute. It's just a few pages from where we are in our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul invested a lot of time in this church because they were children of God. They were saints. Scripture said so. They needed to grow up, yes. They needed to eat meat, but they couldn't, Paul said. He said, so he started uh, ministering to them while they were still looking only at themselves. He wanted to look beyond themselves and, and see their ministry and their doctrines. Now, I could walk you through the whole book of 1 Corinthians, and I think we'd all be severely depressed by the time we were done. That's not a fun way to start a morning, is it? Uh, we're not going to go into great depth right now with the whole passage. But one passage here in chapter 15 I do want to focus on, and it's the first four verses. Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. I don't want to be self-centered. Do you? I don't want to have an immature response to God's Word. When I talk about security... Some people misunderstand the term. Some people uh, misdirect the term. They think that security means I could live however I want in the Christian life. And, and that's very careless. That's very selfish, to tell the truth, to think that way. But is it a term that's, uh, that can easily be just cut off, thrown off to the side, rendered unimportant? After all, we just read the important stuff, didn't we? Christ 
died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried. And the third day, rose again according to the Scriptures. Paul says, I share that with you. That was so important, wasn't it? He shared that message with them. But the concern was this. Paul says, did I share this to you in vain? Well, that's a pretty heavy question, isn't it? I shared with you the good news. He says, you folks, you Corinthians, you heard it. I preached it to you. You received it. You stand in it. It's just the good news I've shared with you. All of it is about the fact Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and because of that, we have good news. We have forgiveness of sins and all that came with that. Now, obviously, when we're talking about the gospel, we're not dealing with mere facts. Just mere facts. Because you know even Satan believes these things. It doesn't do him any good, does it? The priest knew that Jesus rose from the dead. Because they bribed the guards. The guards knew Jesus rose from the dead. They took the bribe. It didn't change them. The issue was faith, wasn't it? The faith. From hearing, to receiving, to standing. He says, in this you have been saved. Verse number 2. So I think it's essential material for us. And he says, so... If you keep this in memory, what I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, you start to say, Paul, are you really that suspect of their faith? Well, they're immature. But is an immature faith something that's contrary to the doctrine of security? I don't know how those work together. Are they saved or are they not? 1 Corinthians, they were. Paul, when he addressed them in this passage, I want to show you something kind of simple before I go into some something I think that you will find fascinating. He says the if word twice in verse number 2. If you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless, or that's another if, by the way, in the Greek, if you have believed in vain. Now, that sounds questionable to us, but do you know, and you probably do, that's not the same thing in the Greek. The Greek tense is saying, since, now read it, since you keep in memory what I preach to you, since you have not believed in vain. Does that give you a different picture all of a sudden? Oh, it's an immature church. But down to the essence of it all, they believed in the gospel. And Paul was confident of their faith. He didn't question that part. He says, you're still full of problems, yes. But I don't question your faith. See, this is powerful in what Paul's about to declare in this passage. And it's real simple, if you, if you could understand as I go here. By which you are saved, since you're holding fast, to what I preach to you, since you have not believed in vain. You are, are believing what I shared. What did he share? It was the gospel. Who created that? Paul? No. <laughs> no. This is God's work, is it not? 
Did God save them like He saved you and me? Are they different because they're Corinthians? Were they not, if they were saved by God, also drawn into that same program, predestined? Weren't they also called? Weren't they also justified? And were they not also glorified? Here's what's interesting about the whole passage, is that so many times when we enter into it, we put so much of ourselves in there that we forget this is God's work, not ours. And that's what the chapter is emphasizing over and over and over again. It's based on the fact that it's Jesus who died. Jesus who was buried. Jesus who rose again. That's our gospel. That's where we stand. Not on what I do. Not on what you do, but on what He's done. And if we take any part of that gospel away, what do we have left? Nothing. Let's experiment, because this is what He does with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, okay, some of you say there is no resurrection. No resurrection? If there's no resurrection, did Jesus Christ rise then? According to you? No. There's no resurrection. You just took the heart out of the gospel message by saying there is no resurrection. It says according to the scriptures, Jesus rose from the dead. Now, how much scripture did they have back then? Did they have 1st and 2nd Corinthians? Did they have Romans? Did they have Revelation? Do they have Hebrews? Do they have 1st, 2nd Peter? 1st, 3rd John? Jude? The answer is no. Do they have the Gospels? No. They weren't written yet. They might have had Galatians. They might have had James. They might have had 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. But those were the only four books written by the time Paul picks up his pen to write this book. He says, according to the Scriptures, where did it come from? The Old Testament. Can you prove the resurrection in the Old Testament? You absolutely can. And Paul says, well, you had it. You heard it. You believed it. You held to it. And now you're telling me there's no resurrection? Everything I know about the Lord is from this book. It's what He has told me. And He confirms over and over and over again to me that His Word is true and His Word is trustworthy. And He has never failed me. Has He ever failed you? I don't think so. No one's standing up and saying yes. Has He ever broken a single promise? No. What I believe I find in God's Word, I stand on it. I hold fast to it. That's what the Corinthians were really doing, believe it or not. If my security is promised by God and bought by the blood of His Son, how can I doubt it? How can I doubt it? Does God give us so cheap a salvation that it comes with a 10-year warranty? Think about that for a minute. Why do they put warranties with the thing they want you to buy? Has God made 
our salvation out of such cheap material that it requires replacement parts from time to time to keep it running? Does God's salvation have some sort of a legal disclaimer at the bottom that these things are all dependent, of course, on the stock market or something like that? Is our security just as sure as Jesus Christ rising from the dead? I'm bringing you to a point, aren't I? We believe that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day, according to the scripture. Romans 8 is scripture 2. Which part is dispensable? Which, which part is suspect? Which part, which part are we going to tie together in a bundle here and, and toss the other out? Which one is going to fail in the end? Which doctrine is God given to us is not going to work. Well, Paul's writing to these Corinthians, and he says this in verse 14. Jump ahead. If Christ has been, not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith also is vain. Everything I say is useless. If the doctrines of God's Word are not true, if Christ did not rise from the dead, it's empty, folks. It's foolish to believe any part of it. It's hollow on the inside, like those Easter bunnies that you get at Easter time. Oh, they look good on the outside. You bite into them and they're empty. Isn't that so disappointing? I like them thick and full of chocolate, not just an outside shell. He says, that's what you have. You have a hollow faith. You have a hollow doctrine if any part of this doesn't match. Any part of this is not true. My preaching would then be nothing to you. It would be nothing. I could read Dr. Seuss to you. Have the same value if God's word was not true. I could read the consumer report on refrigerators. And it'd have the same impact if Christ had not been risen. I could read that little peg sewn on your mattress. And it'd be just as true as anything else. It'd have the same results. Because if Christ had not risen, none of this is true. None of it is true. So you've hired a pastor for nothing. Think of that. We send missionaries out for nothing. And they risk their life like James and Lindsay. For nothing. Don't expect anything to come from preaching either, because there won't be results from nothing, by the way. There will be no change of heart. There will be no maturity. It will all be fruitless. It will have no effect. The words are hollow. There's no substance. There's no purpose. And so is your faith, if God's word be not true. And Paul says in verse 15, yes, and we're found to be liars. We're found to be false witnesses of God because we testified that God raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if that's what you believe, since the dead did not rise. Our credibility is suspect. Being a witness? A false martyr? Can you imagine that? Somebody dying for something that's not true? We're lying about God. Our whole ministry collapses, folks. If one piece of God's word is not true, 
it all falls apart. And the effect in the end, verse 16 of this same passage, and if the dead are not raised, even so Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. Your faith is worthless. It's erroneous. You can't say it's stronger than the word he just said. It's a different word for vain. It means it's corrupted. It's perverted. It's really the word they use for idolatry. Yuck. That means justification is a lie. Predestination is a lie. That means that being called is a lie and glorification. Don't count on it. If Christ had not been risen. Bearing fruit would be a lie. By the way, you're still in your sins. If this is all true, there's no such thing as forgiveness. If that is true, there's no such thing as mercy. There's no such thing as grace. Where we stand is condemned forever before a holy God, and there's nothing we can do about it if these things were not true. How could we ever have an answer to him? How would we ever pay for sin when we're never washed by the blood of Christ? If we never know that relief, where is the hope, folks? You see what happens when you take one chunk of Scripture and say, well, I think that's optional. I, th- I think that's, that's, that's just, you know, a, a sub-point along the way that, you know, give or take, you know, you can have it or you can leave it. It's God's Word. And that's my point from Romans chapter number 8. As I go through this passage, I ask you, is this significant? Is it a significant passage? Absolutely so. Why? Because God did it. And God said it. That's why. And either we're going to stand on that and believe it with all our heart, or else we're going to question whether or not God is true. And I just showed you where that goes. And I don't think you want to go there, do you? I don't want to go there. I don't want to deny one aspect of His Word. We live in a day and age where God's Word is assaulted. It is told to to be, in the modern day phrase, fake news. I've heard it. I've seen it. Do you think it's going to get better? You think the world's going to come around and say, oh, you know, we're really sorry about our opinion of God's Word. Are you anticipating that? Here's the thing. In Scripture, we're told to stand on it. We're told to hold fast to it. And if He's promised it, I know it's true. Why would I doubt it? Why would I question? This is His program. This is what He said. So does it mean something to me today? Absolutely does. It absolutely does. This world is passing away. The flowers fade. Grass withers. But what's going to stand? The word of the Lord. Where are you going to stand today? Where are you going to stand? I bring that to you. That was really my application last week. 
right? Why, why did I want to go down that road? Because it's easy when you hit theological terms to say, oh, that's a word to put on a shelf in some dusty book and say, okay, I've heard that one before. But how many times do we stop and say, and I believe it, and I stand on that, and nothing's going to shake me from my belief in God's promise. He's made this promise. He told me, (laughs) I've been predestined. He told me I've been called. He told me I've been justified. Some people still wrestle with that, don't they? About once a week, maybe? I don't know if he really forgave me. He justified you in Christ Jesus. He bought you with the blood of Christ. Do you believe it? He glorified you. That's true, too. Wait till you get into the last nine verses. It was going to say simply this. He loves you. I'm thrilled just to get it started, but I can't. Heavenly Father, you know what? When we talk about your word, Lord, sometimes we just look at it like it's another book. And it's not another book. It's a living word of God. And it is powerful. It can cut down to the deepest part of our our being, dividing between soul and spirit. It can change lives forever, for it has changed me forever. And so many people in this room, it's changed forever. Because we heard it, and we believed it, we received it, and we stand on it today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for recording in print what we need to see, what we need to read. It causes us to grow, matures us in our faith, keeps us from being self-centered, selfish, immature, and it keeps us from doubting you. Lord, impress upon us the value of this book we carry today. Impress upon us the truth of the Word of God. Impress upon us that you who have promised will never fail and we will never be disappointed. Impress that upon us today, Lord, as we just reflect on the simple words you have said. We are so thankful for what you have done. May we be convinced of it Absolutely convinced. Pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.